Hey, Connection, good to be with you this morning. Listen, I want to reiterate before we get started something Matt said, but maybe before I say that, I ought to say if you got your Bibles, you ought to open, open them to Luke, the 10th chapter, because we're going to start there at the 25th verse. We stopped the 24th verse last week. But let, me, let me just continue what Matt said at the beginning of our song set, beginning of our worship, when we sang Freedom is Here. I want you to know what we're going to look at today will set you free. It will. It's not going to be about will you die and go to heaven. It's going to be about being set free in this life. What we're going to talk about will make a difference in a person's life if they will understand what we're being told in God's Word. You see, Matt said, crowd this big. It's hard to believe somebody doesn't have some very difficult times and you may be going through a difficult time you may be facing a difficult situation and what you do you may come to me and say can you change the situation can you change what's happening in my life and I can't but I tell you what if you'll listen this morning and you'll hear what God is going to say to us through the scriptures I'll just share my words but you listen to the scriptures and God will bring freedom right here this morning to you. Okay? I want to lead us in prayer. Would you just bow your heads? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your inspired word. I thank you for giving it to us through the pen of Luke, a real person of history, a person who wrote so close to the fact that we can trust what he says. And Father, I thank you that through your inspired word, our lives can be changed. And God, I ask you, I ask you this morning that you would bring freedom into our lives as we listen. I thank you for, the, for what I experienced in writing this message and concentrating on this and for the freedom it has brought to me. And Father, I pray that your spirit, as it communicated to me, will communicate today through your inspired words that we will look at. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Today, we're going to look at maybe the most famous and most influential story of the Bible. If it's not the most, it's one of the most famous and the one of the most influential stories of the Bible. It has permeated our society. It is the story of the Good Samaritan. And then, if we got time, we're going to follow that with Mary and Martha because they both just work well together. I think that's why God put them like he did through the pen of Luke. But as I said, this story has permeated our, permeated our society. Here in our area, we have a hospital called the Good Samaritan Hospital. And maybe if you've heard of Good Samaritan laws, and we tend to call a person, we tend to call a person who does something to help others, you're a Good Samaritan. Now, I am afraid. I am afraid that we're moving into a generation that hasn't heard this story, at least to understand this story. And I am afraid that maybe we've got a generation, my generation, that has heard the story but does not understand how to live the story. I do want to remind you, it is just a story. That's all it is. It's not a real-life occurrence. Jesus tells the story. And so he makes the story for a purpose it has application in that day when he told it 
and we are to bring that application into our life. If you have your Bibles, as I said, there, Luke 10.25, I want you to look. If you don't, you can look on the screen. I'm reading, I'm reading out the New Living Translation, okay? It's just easier to follow. Don't want somebody to come up later and who's new or who hasn't been very long and say, I don't think that's the best study Bible. I've already talked about that. I'll talk about that some other time when i got time. I want to get finished, okay? But, but I'm reading out that because it's easier for people to follow. And so what you see on the screen is that. If you have your Bible here, you have a different Bible. It may read a little bit different. If you've got the New Testament, we're at page 60 if you haven't found it there in the New Testament. And by the way, there are New Testaments on the table. As you go out the hallway and you leave, feel free to take one. Next week, come back, and you can use that if you don't have a Bible. Okay? So we're going to look there. We're going to look at Luke 10.25. Now, Jesus, last week, I told you, the Bible said Jesus, really, the ninth, it was a week before, I believe, or two weeks before, the ninth chapter said Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. And I told you, in heading toward Jerusalem, it's going to be a few months before he gets there. He's leaving the northern part of Israel, Galilee area. He's heading to the southern part, the area of Judea, where the metropolitan area, Jerusalem, is. In the northern part, cities of maybe 20 people, cities of 50, 100 people, not large communities. And he's heading south. On the way, he's going to teach a lot of, of significant and strategic things, information for the Christian life. Okay, and, and today we're going to see that. Well, a large crowd of people's following him. He's considered a rabbi. A rabbi has a following. And a large crowd of people are following him. And one day a man steps out from the crowd and he asks Jesus a question. Look at verse 25. One day an expert in the law, in, the, in religious law. Now let me just interject. This man is a Jew. He's what you might call a pure Jew. He is a man who practices Judaism there in Jerusalem. He is a man who knows the Juda Juda Jewish traditions. In other words, he's an expert in the religious law. So he's a man who does, he knows the correct doctrine and the correct tradition of Jewish religion. Okay? And there can be a difference between doctrine and tradition. Just like in our society, there are people who call themselves Christians and they know what the Bible says, but they also know the tradition they grew up in, and they're uncomfortable if they're not in that tradition. This man is one of those experts. He is a so-called expert in the Jewish laws and the Jewish traditions, or what would be called the right religion, okay? And it says, he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a good question. That's one we often ask, is eternal life real? And if it is, then how do I get eternal life? Now, that's not the question Jesus is really going to deal with here, but he's going to speak to that. But he asked this question, okay? Now, I want you to understand, it's not an honest question. It's not an honest question. He said he stood up and he asked this question to test Jesus. He's not really wanting to know about eternal life. This man is wanting to ask Jesus a question that he hopes will sort of trip Jesus up. That Jesus will say something, he'll slip up, that then this man can correct Jesus and humiliate Jesus. Some of you say, I'm adding to that. I'm not. You just read the text. He stood up to test Jesus. Okay? He's, he's one of those pure Jews. He's got the correct religion. He's got the correct tradition. And Jesus isn't working according to his tradition and how he interprets God's word. 
God's law. And he just wants to catch Jesus. Well, look at verse 26. Jesus replied. Here's his answer. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus puts the question back in the man's ballpark because Jesus wants the man to think about how he would answer that question. So what do you understand the law to say in response to your question? Now he goes on in 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus says, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. In other words, Jesus said, good answer, good answer. And you could take your Bible and you could look in Deuteronomy and you could find part of that man's answer and you could look in Leviticus and you could find the other part of that man's answer and he put it together. Matter of fact, Jesus will use those, that statement this man makes later because it is the right answer. It's the good answer. The expert has taken the 600 laws of the Jewish tradition, of the Jewish faith, and he has summarized them into two actions. And his actions is this. If you want to relate to God, that's what eternal life is. We think it's to die and live forever. It's to begin a relationship with God that starts here and never ends. If it was just all about when you die, you're going to go to heaven, then when you respond to God, why doesn't he just take you? Because he's accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. Because, you see, he created you for a purpose. You are an image bearer of God. He created you to show people the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. You can't do that on your own because, you see, you're like me. You're sinful. And you're wanting to get even with people, and you're wanting to get ahead of people, and you want all your comfort. And so how do we show that? We learn to live and love like Jesus. Seeing how all that fits together? And so this man's answer, the two, the two points he touches on, which summarizes the entire 600 laws, and it was more than 600, but 600 some laws the Jews had, was you love God. And as we know Jesus, that means you make a commitment to what God wants, that is to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Now this man doesn't know that. And you love your neighbor. In other words, you're a person that pays attention to the people around you, and you show love. Okay. Now, some of us don't understand love because our moms didn't teach us how to love and our dads didn't teach us how to love. Our moms taught us how to be selfish and self-centered and our dads taught us how to be selfish and self-centered. You did not have a parent like that, but some of us did. Okay. And so some of us don't know how to teach our children to love and we don't know how to love. But this man summarized it. Jesus says, good answer. Love God. Love your neighbor. Good answer takes actions to do that now look at verse 29 i ask you to underline i would ask you to underline all of verse 29 it is the key verse in this story that jesus is going to tell it is the key verse i should say in what is happening right here verse 29 so when you read this four years from now and you start reading it i hope you'd stop and you'd think about verse 29 the man wanted to and after you underline that verse i want you to circle those three words justify his actions the man wanted to justify his actions so he asked jesus who and who is my neighbor it's the key verse to this entire occasion that's taking place right here in this story if it has any meaning to you then you must understand what's taking place in this verse many believe that if you love god and you're a good person you got eternal life okay and that's what a lot of people go to church believing. If I love God and I'm a good person, I have eternal life. And that's how we justify our position. We don't stop and think about our actions. We just say, I love God and I'm a good person. I don't kill anybody. 
And this man, remember, Jesus is telling us here, or Luke has written here, God is telling us, this man, he just wants to justify his actions. He wants to defend himself in regard to eternal life. He asks the question, he just wants to now defend. I'm a good person. I love God and I love my neighbor. That's what he's saying. In other words, I don't hurt anybody. See, that's what we say today. And we got a lot of people walking around saying, I'm a Christian. I love God. I don't hurt anybody. I love God. I don't hurt anybody. I'm a good Christian. And you see, he's trying to justify himself. I want you to look at the first blank on your message map. You've got a handout. There's a page for blanks. Very significant toward understanding this in our application. It says, church-going people tend to justify themselves. They say, I go to church. I read the Bible, I don't do terrible things, I am a good person. The end result of justifying self is that you begin to think, now look what I wrote there, you begin to think you can judge others. You begin to sit in a position of expert. That's what you begin to do. You see, a person who thinks they're an expert begins to judge people. If you think you know something, you look at somebody who's not doing it correctly as you think, you begin to judge them. It's something you got to be very careful. My wife will tell you, we talk about so many things, and from time to time, I will remind her or she'll remind me. Now, we got to be careful. We're not judging folks. You know, we do those things, or, or sometimes we feel that way. But if you're an expert, you move to a position, you have a right to judge folks. This is a religious man. This is a good man. This is a man who knows his religion, Judaism with the time. And he is trying to justify that he's okay in regard to eternal life. Okay? Expert. you got to be careful. You move to that place of religious expert, and you begin thinking you can judge others. Okay? In other words, we have religious fundamentalists. Now listen to me. Some of you will watch their programs on TV. Watch their programs, but don't eat all the time their programs. Because if you eat all the time their programs, you will become a judge. A religious fundamentalist expert judge. You see, the religious fundamentalist says this. Okay, they say, I'm not a bad person. I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. I go to church. I give my money, extra, extra, whatever it is. And you know what? I've got a doctrine. I know what's wrong in this world. And here's what they always talk about, what people are doing that's wrong. If I'm making that up, then you just don't listen to me. Religious fundamentalists. And they begin judging the folks who don't live by their doctrine. We have secular fundamentalists. Now, I could break this down in other groups, but just to go from one string to the other. Secularist, secular fundamentalists. They don't believe in God, necessarily. What do they do? They become an expert in life, in secularism. I'm not a bad person. Listen, I eat healthy. I don't sell drugs, I recycle, I take care of the earth, I treat animals as good, and you see they form an opinion of experts, and what they do, they look down on people who don't do those things, and they begin to judge them. You see, if you claim to be an expert, you then become a judge. It goes along. It's hard to say I'm an expert in something, and then not judge people who aren't that way. See? We need to be very careful. We create the standards. Now, let me go back. The religious fundamentalist says this. You dress a certain way. Now, listen to me. Some of you aren't listening to me. We dress a certain way. You don't pierce your bodies. You tuck your shirts in. 
okay? You go to church. You don't use those words. Religious fundamentalists begin judging people by things in their life. If you're a secular fundamentalist, you begin saying, you're, you, you've been made to feel guilty. You've been made to feel shame. Your mom and daddy forced religion down your throat. You've never tried anything different. And they become the judge. And nobody's really dealing with the person. Everybody's dealing with behavior. Okay? And Jesus has this expert here who isn't asking an honest question. He wants to trip Jesus up. And really, he just wants to justify himself. He's okay, because you see, when Jesus gets around those religious fundamentalists of his day, they don't like him. They do not like him, because he doesn't say it the way they say it. And he doesn't necessarily do everything the way they do it. And they say, wait a minute, we're religious people, and we're experts. Be careful. Be careful. Just like that blank you filled out there, experts when you consider yourself an expert, you become a judge. And that's a bad thing that church people tend to do. Now, let's go back to the Scriptures, verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. So this man wanted to justify himself, so Jesus is going to tell him a story. And he's going to evaluate his life in regard to the story. It says, a Jewish man, now listen, this is a pure Jew. Now, I, I don't have time to tell you. Somebody's going to say, how do you know these things? Because of what takes place in the story and who the hero is in the story, this guy's got to be the opposite. So this guy is a pure Jew. He's a good Jew like the expert of law. When Jesus is telling the story, you know, Luke writes it down. When Jesus tells the story, this guy could see himself in this person, okay? A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, he's just going along in life. We could say some things about that. But, I mean, in a sense, Jerusalem's higher sea level, a higher elevation than Jericho. He's in other words, he's going through life, and things seem to be heading in the wrong direction. But anyway, he's just going through life, okay? That's all he's doing. Look, and he was attacked by bandits. What does that mean? Something bad happens. It's not by his choice. I want you to see that because, you see, if this story is going to have meaning and set you free, you've got to realize some things are happening to you by choice. Some things are happening to you not by choice. This is a story that deals with things happening to you that's not by choice. They fired you. You were a good worker. She left you. He left you. You were a good mate. You were a good boyfriend, girlfriend. They said bad things about you, and it's not true. See, it's, it's not by your choice. Jesus is saying, here's a pure Jew, one the experts consider a good Jew. He's going through life. Something happens to him, not by his choice. Now, some things happen to us by our choice. I refuse to finish high school. Now, listen, that doesn't mean I'm a fool or I'm stupid. It just means I'm going to make less money. I, for the rest of my life, I'm upset. Other people making more money than me, and I don't make money. Okay? I just made a choice. This is not of a choice. Okay? I take drugs. They affect my ability to think. And for the rest of life, I'm impacted. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person later in life. It doesn't mean I'm a terrible person that I don't have value. It means by choice I affect it. This is a situation Something happens, and it's not by choice. He's just going through life, and something comes upon him. They, they beat him and rob him. They stripped him. It says they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. In other words, Jesus is saying, this guy's in a predicament where he's going through life. Something happens he did not choose to have happen, and he needs help. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse, verse 31, by chance a priest. Oh, good. A pastor's coming along. This man's going to get the help he needs. So a priest comes along. 
But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. 32, a temple assistant. Who is a temple assistant? Now, I don't have time to explain it Jewish. Let me just say he's one of our connect group leaders. Or he's a person who has volunteered to do a responsibility and connection. So we say, you know, he's sort of committed to the church. So this is a guy that's committed to the Jewish experience. And so it says, it says, a temple assistant walks over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now look at the next verse. Then a despised, a despised, a despised Samaritan came along. Now let me stop. See, this is why it's a pure Jew that got hurt. Okay, and the expert would understand that in Jesus' words. And a despised Samaritans, because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, now underline the next five words. So you're, when you read this 10 years from now or three years from now, you'll stop at this verse and say, I've got to understand the story in light of this. He felt compassion for him. The expert in the law justifies himself like religious people do. Religious people don't like to be corrected, especially religious fundamentalists. Of course, secular fundamentalists have trouble being corrected. Experts have trouble being corrected. You parents sometimes say to your kid, what's the matter, you think I was born yesterday? I'm 33, you're only 10. See, we decide we're experts. We can learn some things from our children. We can learn a great deal of information from our young adults, I'm telling you. Okay? And so here's this despised Samaritan. And what does he do? It's not... In a sense, passing by, he has compassion. And be careful. If you think you're an expert in some situation, that you lose that ability to have comp compassion, and you just become a judge. You just become a judge. This story, now, this story will not make any sense to this expert of the law in the way Jesus is telling it. Okay? Because it don't make sense. You've got a Jewish man who needs help, and you got somebody who he's been prejudiced toward, who he has offended as a, a race of people, as a nationality of people. He didn't make sense that that man would show any compassion, any help. This story right now, it's lost in the expert's mind. Okay? But Jesus goes on. Just like he does with you, that's what I'm telling you. Freedom is here if you listen to the story. Now it goes on, verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. In other words, he meets physical needs here. It says, And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of the man. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If, he has, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. In other words, now he meets physical or financial needs. He, he's going out of his way is what we see. Okay, this despised Samaritan goes out of his way for this, this, this Jewish man, this good Jewish man, this pure Jew. See, Samaritans are half-breeds. I've talked about that. Don't have time to get into that now. So they're looked down upon. They're, they're the kids born to mixed-race parents. And some of you, be honest, you're a religious fundamentalist, and you can't stand it when a white woman and a black man has a child or a black woman and a white man has a child. You can't stand that. Some of you can't stand it if it was a Japanese woman and an American man or an American woman and a Japanese man. You're a religious fundamentalist. You say, God never intended that. And I'm telling you, that is a lie. 
see, that's how this expert would have saw this situation. It don't make any sense. Now, I want to speak to the Samaritan real quick before I go on. You know what the Samaritan has to do? He's been prejudiced against. He's heard grandfather's story. He's heard how those Jewish men mistreated the relatives, the ancestors in the past. He's heard all the terrible stories of hatred and hurt. And here he comes along, and now you're going to say, how do we know he's a Jew? I don't know, but I'm telling you the expert knows through the words Jesus is saying, this is a good Jew in the expert's eyes. The despised Samaritan is someone who knows that prejudice. And you know what he has to do? He has to let it go. He has to let all that hurt go. Because you can't help anybody. You hold on to the earth. Hurt. I've thought about preaching my sermon series on anger again. The epic story, some of you know that. You hold on to the epic story, you can never can move to where you're supposed to be and show compassion. The thing about the despised Samaritan is he's got to let go of all that hurt that he has had poured on him by this man's people. Remember that. This expert here in this story saying, what? A Samaritan? That don't make any sense to me. I know the story between Jews and Samaritans. A Samaritan is not going to stop and help this Jew. But Jesus says, no, in my story he does. That's why I'm telling you it's a story. Here, listen. Put it in our time. If it was in the 60s, 1960s, and if it was in the South, Jesus would be telling the story this way. A southern white man is traveling down the road. He gets beat up. He got the place. He's in need. And along comes a young freedom rider. Those are people who are fighting for racial equality in America. Praise God for people who had the courage. May you stand up when you see another person attack somebody of another race, whether you're at McDonald's or you're at the movie theater or wherever you are. It would be like Jesus telling the story, a white southerner. He got beat up, and he's left for, for, for dead, and along comes a freedom rider. See, a white southerner said, that don't make any sense. We've mistreated those young freedom riders. Why would they help? Why would they help? Or maybe to help, yeah, it would be like, let, let's see, if Jesus was telling this story in America today, he'd probably say, along goes an American citizen, a good American patriot who fought in the war, and he's beat up. And along comes an Al-Qaeda member, and he helps him. Oh, wait a minute. Al-Qaeda people and good American patriots, they don't like each other. And that Al-Qaeda member has to get over that maybe some of our bombs killed some of his ancestors. Or maybe, let's get a little bit more real. Here it is. Jesus tells a story, and he says, there's a person in your family that goes along, okay, or they were in your family, and they get beat up because they hurt somebody in your family. Whether they did it on purpose, they did it by accident, or they were insensitive, they hurt somebody in your family, and they get beat up, left for dead, and along comes that hurt family member. We'd all say, wait a minute, that don't make sense. <laughs> the hurt family member helps the one who hurt them? Do you get the understanding of this story, folks? Or else it's just going to be a story, and we're going to name hospitals after it, and we're going to have good Samaritan laws, and it's not going to make any difference to us. Not one bit of difference. 
Look at 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? That's what Jesus asked. Verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Now, let me stop. This expert has correct head knowledge. Even though the story wouldn't make sense when Jesus said, who showed him? Who was a good neighbor, say? Was it the priest? Oh, come on, the expert knows priests are honorable men. Was it somebody who, who, who helps in the temple? Oh, come on, people are volunteering, they're good people. Or was it somebody who was prejudiced against? Who was it? And this guy's got the right head knowledge. He says, the man, verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. You know, he can't even say Samaritan. He can't even say Samaritan. Well, what happened to your family member who was up for dead? Oh, somebody come along in the family helped. You can't say it's the one that hurt that person. Or the one who had been hurt by that person. Because it doesn't make sense. But at least he's got the right head knowledge. Now look what it says. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. In other words, Jesus said, okay, you got the right head knowledge. Now I want to see the right action. You see, that's the sad thing. Some of you are hearing what I'm saying, and it's, it's hitting in your head. But you're going to go to school tomorrow, and you're still going to hold those feelings and not be the person who shows compassion. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're still going to hold on to the hurt, and you're not going to show the compassion. And some of you, some of you, your marriages are falling apart, and you know the head knowledge, but when it comes to the hurt action, you're not forgiving it doesn't mean your mate changed. That Samaritan didn't walk up to that Jew and say, now listen, fellow, I know you're pretty well beat. Hey, wake up. Come on. Come on. Hear me. You going to forgive Samaritans? No. Jesus doesn't put that in the story. You see, because when you show compassion, the person you show compassion to may never change and be the kind of person you like. Some of you got this head knowledge. But will it change the way you think about family members? Will you go out of your way to show compassion? But you don't understand what's going to happen. Listen, I just know this. If other Jews came along and saw that Samaritan with this man, they'd beat that Samaritan up. If they saw that Samaritan take that man to that end and they're good Jews, they're going to beat that Samaritan up. Sure, some don't understand. They're experts. You don't know all the facts. Experts always say that. I know you don't. All you know is that you got head knowledge, you're supposed to let go of hurt, and you're supposed to be a good neighbor. And so you show compassion, which means you seek to help meet needs. And other people won't understand. Jesus is just talking to one man here, and I'm going to tell you right now, he's offering you freedom right now in your life in regard to your difficult situation. I want you to know I've learned, okay? And I've been in the pastorate since I was 70, or since I was 70, since, since 71, okay? I've learned this fact. Sometimes non-religious people are more compassionate than religious people. That's a sad thing to say. And I've learned sometimes, if not many times, new Christians are more compassionate than people who've been Christians for 10 or more years. You know what happens with the length of time? You become expert. You lose it. 
If I've learned anything in getting involved in this missional effort and hearing guys and gals and reading and studying from their perspective, I've learned that we've got to be careful. Because we begin saying, I know what's better. And we lose our compassion. We lose our compassion. Did you, did you see Lee step out? Did you see him this morning? Did you join with him and say, Lee, I'm on your side, and you let him see you sing with him? Did you even have compassion? No, that's not, that's not what I think is the way we ought to do it. Well, Lee, just stay home. Don't come back. Wait, he didn't leave, did he? No. <laughs> did you see Angela? Did you see Josh? Did you see Josh? Did you see Matt? Did you understand what Josh back there was doing whenever the sound was gone? Will you sit in judgment and say, why don't you do it better? Or will you show compassion and say, thanks for trying? I'm just telling you, it's all around us, the opportunity. We can be the expert and we can know all the answers. But there's help that needs to be done and we become the person that is the good neighbor. Look, what I'm telling you doesn't normally sit well with religious people because you see it asks religious people to change. You know what Jesus is asking this expert to do? He's asking this expert. Now, you can identify with the guy beat up. I want you to realize if you're a good neighbor, you identify with that despised Samaritan. You overcome your prejudice toward things in your life and toward the hurt that's happening in your life. And you enter other people's hurt. And you seek to help in the way you can do. You can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. But you've got to overcome the prejudice, the hurt, the misfortune that was forced on you into your life. And religious people don't like to hear that. Because religious people don't want to change. And religious fundamental people will tell you, I'm never going to change. Now look at the second blank on your message map. As people who want a relationship with God, instead of worrying about all you should not do to have eternal life, because that was the first question, concentrate on what you can do in living and loving like Jesus. That's all this story's trying to get across. Jesus really doesn't deal with eternal life. Jesus deals with your daily experiences you face and how you live and love as he would want you to. Many connect eternal life with religion, and I'm sorry, maybe in churches that's all we've done. You've got to preach, get people saved, and get them to heaven. And I'm sorry, sometimes that's all we identify religion with, Christian religion with, is eternal life, dying and going to heaven. I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. I'm a good person. And what Jesus is doing, he's taking this expert who has this, this huge blindness in regard to what God really wants, even though he knows the laws that he can give a Cliff's Notes version of the laws. Jesus is taking this expert with this huge blindness and he's saying, listen, you're right, love God. You should repent when you do wrong. You should seek everything God wants. In time, it's going to be to understand who Jesus is. But you should not forget that you love your neighbor like this guy does. 
and your neighbor could be your husband. I'm going to tell you right now, you want freedom? You had that argument before you came? Your mate is feeling like that Jew on the floor. You are the despised Samaritan. They said what they should have said to me. They did this to me. Love your neighbor. You want that freedom? Just choose the words Jesus said and let them come forth. And you will know freedom. You will know freedom. I know there's another blank. I'm cutting the sermon off. Somebody told me it's sleeting outside. I went outside. It wasn't sleeting, okay? But they're afraid it's going to get worse, so I'm going to cut off the last part of this sermon because i got another 15, 20 minutes. Come back next week because I'm going to talk about Mary and Martha. I believe, I believe in most churches we have taught this scripture about Mary and Martha in the wrong way. Martha's bad. Mary's good. You read it. It's the rest of chapter 10. We'll cover it next week. Do we have any questions? No questions? Let's bow together and we'll be finished. Father, I thank you for this day, for this time, for this experience, and for your word. And I thank you for this illustration that Jesus has given us to teach us how to have freedom in our life's experiences. And God, I pray that you help us to sense your spirit's nudging when we come upon the people whom you want us to help. And God, may we not see them when they live as close as in our own homes, when they may be our mother or our father, our brother, our sister, our sons, our daughters, or maybe someone who used to live in our home but because of somebody's wrong choice and actions, we no longer live with them, but life forces us to think about them. Help us, God, to be good neighbors. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.